Monsters is a podcast about the worst human beings on the planet. Listener discretion is advised. If you'd like to support the show, the easiest way is to donate a few bucks at buymeacoffee.com forward slash monsters. There's more info about supporting us at our website, thisismonsters.com forward slash support. This podcast is also available on YouTube, where it's accompanied by pictures and video. There are also more videos than what's just in the podcast. You can find the channel by going to YouTube and searching This Is Monsters. Stephanie Lazarus dated John Rutten off and on from the late 70s to 1984. When Lazarus learned that Rutten had met another woman and that they were already engaged, the reality that their relationship was not as serious as she had thought hit her hard. Hard enough to make her want to kill. This is Monsters. I don't normally talk about myself uh, much during my show, but I just wanted to give you guys an update um, about my surgery that I had on my nose. It went well. Uh, Things are healing up actually pretty quickly. I still have a little bit of healing to go, which I think is going to make this episode sound like I'm a little bit stuffed up. But in the long run, um, it's really opened up my nasal passage so I don't breathe through my mouth constantly. The reason I had surgery was to straighten my septum then I had polyps removed from the left uh, nasal passage, and then I had some tissue that was clogging up my right um, sinus uh, cleared out. I want to thank everybody for their support and kind words. While I was recuperating, uh, it was much appreciated. One aspect of love that can be instrumental in people becoming violent in relationships is unrequited love. This is love that is not being reciprocated. It can be due to the subject of affection not being aware of the strong romantic feelings that someone may have for them. Other times, they might actively reject the affection of the admirer. Signs of unrequited love can be mixed signals, unreciprocated emotions, one-sided contact, or longing for physical touch. Many times, this can lead to the person in love getting over the relationship and moving on. Sometimes, though, things can progress to deadly levels. We saw it in episode one where Ryan Poston didn't want to be with Shayna Hubers. The 1980 murder of Herman Tarnauer by Gene Harris was because he was seeing another woman instead of being exclusive to her. Her story is detailed in the book Very Much a Lady by Shayna Alexander and turned into a movie in 2005, Mrs. Harris, starring Annette Bening and Ben Kingsley. In 1978, Stephanie Lazarus was attending the University of California, Los Angeles, majoring in political science. People who knew her described her as a very social person who loved sports. She was on UCLA's junior varsity women's basketball team. This prompted her to reside in the dorm at Dykstra Hall, which was popular with the school's athletes. This is where she met John Rutten, a mechanical engineering major who played basketball on an intramural squad. The couple began dating off and on, and Rutten described their relationship as never going farther than, quote, necking and fooling around, end quote, while still in school. Lazarus would steal his clothes while he was in the shower and would take pictures of him in his underwear while he slept. I started school there in 78. Mm -hmm. I started UCLA in 1978. Mm -hmm. I graduated in 82. Um, I don't even remember what year he graduated, if it was... 
a year or two before me. Okay. Um, I think he was a little bit older than I was. Okay. I mean, you know, I can't remember if he was born, let's say I'm born in 60, 1960. I don't know if he was born in 58 or 59. I mean, I, you know, um, I mean, I knew his parents, I knew his sister, his brother went to Northridge. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, his sister spent the night at my house before. Obviously, I spent the night at his house before. He probably spent the night at my house before. Um, you know, I, I yeah. you know, I don't. I, well, correct me if I'm wrong, because from what you're telling me, is you, you guys dated while you were in college together, right? Yeah, and probably after college. Lazarus graduated from UCLA in 1982 and soon joined the Los Angeles Police Academy. People close to her said it never seemed like a path she was planning to take, but it made sense for her character. She was an athletic and intelligent person who was good with people. Rutten had graduated the previous year, and after the couple left college, their relationship became more intimate. Rutten described them having sex 20 to 30 times over the four years following college. As much as he cared about Lazarus, he didn't feel like she was the one. Lazarus felt differently. In her early years on the force, she had a roommate named Michael Hargreaves, who said that Lazarus claimed to love Rutten. Her life seemed to revolve around the man, and she wouldn't date anyone else. Rutten had dated multiple women during and after college, and it seemed that he had finally found the woman who he felt was the one, Sherry Rasmussen. Sherry Rasmussen had started attending Loma Linda University at 16 years old. She had wanted to become a nurse from a young age and quickly made her dream a reality. By her late 20s, Rasmussen had become the director of critical care nursing at Glendale Adventist Hospital. She gave presentations and taught classes to other nurses internationally. The two met in the summer of 1984. Rotten fell in love with Rasmussen right away and the two were engaged the following year. It's reported that Lazarus wasn't aware that Rutten was seeing other women. He claims that they were never exclusive, but at the same time, it seems like he may have intentionally not told her about the other women. Lazarus claimed that she did think that they were exclusive, and when she found out about the engagement, she asked him to come over so they could talk. After she professed her love for him and begged him to be with her, the couple had sex, but afterward, Rutten told her he was still going to marry Rasmussen. He claimed in court that that was the only time they had sex after he became engaged to Rasmussen. Now, this is shitty behavior to be done by anyone. Stringing one partner along while seeing other people on the side, keeping the other relationship a secret, Rutten having sex with Lazarus and still marrying Rasmussen does make him an ass, but it doesn't justify anybody dying. Lazarus wrote in her journal, quote, I really don't feel like working. I found out that John is getting married. I'm very depressed, very sad. My concentration was negative 10, end quote. Hargreaves explained that she was very picky and would only date men who were just like Rutten. Lazarus also wrote a letter to Rutten's mother, which was postmarked August 6, 1985, where she told his mother, quote, I'm truly in love with John, and the past year has really torn me up. I wish it didn't end the way it did, and I don't think I'll ever understand his decision, end quote. In the five months that Rutten and Rasmussen were engaged, Lazarus made her presence known. On one occasion, she showed up at Rutten's condo in tight-fitting workout clothes and asked if he could wax her skis for her. Even though his fiance objected, he did it anyway. When Lazarus returned to pick up the skis, she did it at a time when Rasmussen was alone and she wore her uniform with her service weapon clearly displayed. She also confronted Rasmussen at work, telling her that Rutten was her boyfriend and, quote, 
if I can't have John, nobody can, end quote. The nurse asked her fiancé to ask Lazarus to leave her alone, but he told her to just ignore the woman and believed she would eventually get over it. Rasmussen talked to both her father, Nels Rasmussen, and a co-worker, Peggy Crabtree, about how she would see the scorned woman everywhere she went. Crabtree explained, quote, she couldn't go out to the store or go to the gym without having this woman show up, end quote. Her father said that she believed she was being followed by someone in disguise. Rasmussen had told him that it looked like a woman who was dressed as a boy. She said that whoever it was had wild-looking eyes. Gee, I wonder who that could have been. John Rutten and Sherry Rasmussen were married on November 23, 1985. Over the next four months, the couple settled into married life in their Van Nuys condo. Rutten had left his job with hard drive manufacturer Micropolis and started working for an engineering company. On the morning of February 24, 1986, Rasmussen was still in bed when Rutten left for work at about 7.20 a.m. She was scheduled to give a mandatory human resources class for some of the nurses that morning, but she didn't want to and she told her husband that she was thinking about calling in sick. She had hurt her back previously doing aerobics and thought that that was a good excuse to play hooky. Rutten encouraged her to just get the class over with and left for work. Rutten called his wife at home a couple of times and didn't get an answer, so he assumed she had decided to go to work. He called her office, but her assistant said that she hadn't seen her all morning. That wasn't unusual, though, as she regularly skipped going into her office on days where she was giving a class. Rutten, having no reason for concern, finished his workday and ran some errands before heading home. When he pulled into their garage, he saw that the door was open and Rasmussen's silver BMW, his engagement gift to her, was gone. He also discovered some glass on the ground and assumed she hit something while backing out of the driveway. Maybe that got her flustered and she forgot to close the garage door. After walking up the stairs into the living room, Rutten got the shock of his life. His wife was laying face up on the brown carpet, still in a red bathrobe, camisole, and underwear. His brain immediately questioned why she would be lying on the floor like that, but he quickly realized that she had been severely beaten. Her stiffened arms were sticking up and there was blood on her face. He reached down and touched one of her legs, which was cold and stiff. He checked her pulse and found none, so he called 911. There had clearly been a struggle. A tall stereo speaker had been knocked over. A ceramic vase was broken on the floor. Two shelves on a cabinet had been knocked over. And stereo equipment on a shelf was knocked over. One of the sliding glass doors on the top floor that opened to the back balcony was broken. The glass had fallen from the balcony to the driveway below and was the source of the glass that Rutten had seen when he arrived home. There was a VCR and a CD player stacked neatly by the front door as if someone was planning to take them, but never did. There was no sign of forced entry and there was no sign that anywhere else in the house had been ransacked. Oh, except for the fact that the couple's marriage license was missing. Weird, right? Sherry Rasmussen had three bullet wounds to her chest, all 38 caliber. Two of them were contact wounds from the gun being pressed against Rasmussen's body while being fired. A pink and green blanket found on a chair in the living room had a bullet hole in it and was theorized that the killer wrapped it around their gun to muffle the gunshots. There were several wounds on her face, one that looked like she may have been struck with the vase and the other that looked like she may have been pistol whipped. Investigators also found a bite mark on the inside of Rasmussen's left forearm. 
police swabbed the wound and collected DNA and made an impression of the bite mark. John was interviewed by police and was quickly ruled out as a suspect. The reason being, the lead investigator, Lyle Mayer, had already decided that the murder was the result of a botched burglary. Detective Mayer explained to Rutten that he believed that one or more burglars entered through the front door because it was probably unlocked and his wife came downstairs, surprising them. Rasmussen's parents arrived in Los Angeles from Arizona the following day. Nels Rasmussen immediately asked Detective Mayer if he had looked into John's ex-girlfriend, who was a cop. He relayed all the stories he had been told by his daughter about the confrontations she had had with Lazarus. The grieving father was told that he watched too many cop shows. Rutten also didn't share his father-in-law's suspicion of Lazarus. Detective Mayer claimed that he did question Rutten about Nels's accusations. Rutten dismissed the idea, and Mayer trusted the husband more than the father. The idea that Rasmussen was murdered during a botched burglary was reinforced when another burglary was reported in the area. Two days after the murder, a woman was robbed at gunpoint by two Hispanic men. They became the prime suspects in the case. The stolen BMW was found a few miles away from the condo ten days later. Investigators found fingerprints, hairs, and blood in the car, but none of it helped move the case forward. Two weeks after the murder, Lazarus reported that her car was broken into and that her off-duty weapon had been stolen. The weapon just happened to be a Smith & Wesson Model 49 38 caliber revolver. It was a gun that was compatible with the Federal Plus P ammunition that had been used in the murder. The Rasmussens continued calling the LAPD, inquiring about the status of their daughter's case. They put up a $10,000 reward for information on the case. They traveled to Los Angeles after a few years and held a press conference, reminding people of the reward, but it didn't bring in any leads. Rutten would later admit in court that he and Lazarus had sex two more times after Rasmussen's death. In 1989, she invited Rutten on a scuba diving trip to Hawaii. He called Detective Mayer to make sure that nothing had ever come up that connected her to his wife's murder. When Mayer assured him that Lazarus was not a suspect, he agreed to go on the trip. The couple seemed to fall out of contact after that. He met Greg and I in Hawaii. Okay. Um, that was something you guys kind of planned together, like go as a group or you, you ran into him? Or? No, I, I think that obviously I must have talked to him. And I said, hey, I'm going to Hawaii with my buddy Greg. We're, we're, sco we're, we're scuba, we just got certified scuba diving. Um, uh, we're going to be in Hawaii. Hey, if you want to come and join us, come join us. Right. And I, I think that's what it was. Okay. Um, I, may, I may have asked some other people to as well. Um, you know, uh, what island did we go to? I think the big island in Kauai. He either met us on the big island or Kauai. I'm thinking of... Uh, Greg and I might have scuba dived a lot in, on the Big Island, as well as Kauai. I'm, I, I don't remember which island. Again, I'd have to look at my pictures. Lazarus married a fellow police officer in 1996, and the couple adopted a daughter. Rutten eventually remarried as well. The murder of Sherry Rasmussen was filed away with the rest of the cold cases. In 2001, the LAPD put together a unit to try to solve cold cases. The team had reviewed all of the cold cases that had happened in 1960 or later. After the review, 
they were left with 1,400 cases that they felt had good enough forensic evidence that they could use some new techniques to solve the cases. Criminalist Jennifer Francis opened the Rasmussen case and noticed that there was a swab of DNA evidence listed, but was not included with the rest of the evidence. Normally, the evidence will be stored in the coroner's freezer while the case is active, before being transferred to long-term storage when the case goes cold. They searched the freezer by hand and found the manila envelope still inside the freezer. The envelope was damaged, but the tube that housed the swab was still intact and sealed. The DNA results didn't bring up any hits in the system. Law enforcement used a national database of DNA results called the Combined DNA Index System, or CODIS. If anyone had had their DNA entered into the system before then, they would have popped up as a match. There was no match to the DNA, but the results did show that the DNA on the bite mark had come from a female. Francis took the results to the cold case unit and proposed that they reopen the case since the original theory was that Rasmussen was killed by two men. The unit shrugged it off. They suggested that one of the burglars could have been female and the case was put back on the shelf. In 2009, Detective Jim Nuttall was assigned the case for one final review. He also found the fact that the DNA was female concerning. He brought the issue to his supervisor, who finally took the case's discrepancies seriously and assigned two more detectives to the case. As this new crew of fresh detectives went over the details of the case, they concluded that Rasmussen did not come downstairs and surprise burglars. The evidence showed that someone had entered the house either by picking the lock or because the front door was unlocked. The intruder went all the way upstairs and confronted Rasmussen. Two shots were fired upstairs that shattered the glass of the sliding door. Rasmussen fled downstairs and tried to hit the panic button on the alarm, but she was stopped before she was able to. They believe that Sherry was able to somehow knock the gun out of her assailant's hand and get them into a headlock, this being the reason for the bite mark. Once free, the attacker grabbed the ceramic vase and hit Rasmussen over the head with it. The killer was able to retrieve the gun and shoot the victim once in the chest, which was a through-and-through. -through. They then wrapped the blanket around the gun and fired two more shots into her chest, killing her. Another detail that concerned the detectives was the bloody mark on the CD player that was sitting near the front door. The blood had been tested and belonged to Rasmussen, so that meant that whoever killed Sherry picked up the CD player and stacked it by the front door after killing her, then fled the scene, which didn't make sense. To Detective Nuttall and his colleagues, it looked like a murder that had been staged to look like a botched burglary. It was clear that they were looking for a female with motive to kill Sherry Rasmussen, who also had the knowledge to stage a burglary. It was a single note inside the file made by Detective Mayers that read, quote, John Rutten called. Verified Stephanie Lazarus, P.O., was former girlfriend, end quote, that started the detectives down a path to the real killer. These detectives knew nothing of Nels Rasmussen and his insistence that Lazarus was his daughter's killer. Nothing about it was ever included in the file. Some think that details about it were actually removed from the file. They assumed that the P.O. in the note meant police officer, and when they ran a search for an officer named Stephanie Lazarus, they were presented with an LAPD officer who was currently working in the art theft division. They talked to John Rutten, who told them that he still didn't believe his ex-girlfriend had anything to do with it. 
Then they called Nels, who was extremely frustrated to have spent almost two decades trying to get the police to consider Lazarus a suspect to now suddenly have new detectives come to him with this newfound discovery. For four months, the investigation continued as a confidential investigation. They didn't want anyone at the Van Nuys office to know that Officer Lazarus was being investigated, because word would easily get back to her. Once they were sure they were on the right track, the Internal Affairs Group, Special Operations Section, began working on the case. The last piece of the puzzle was to obtain Lazarus's DNA to compare to DNA from the bite mark. A team staked out Lazarus and her adopted daughter as they went shopping at Costco. The two had a snack at some outside tables after they went shopping, and the team was able to recover a cup and straw that Lazarus had been using. Two days later, the DNA came back a match. Stephanie Lazarus murdered Sherry Rasmussen 23 years ago. On June 5, 2009, with all of the evidence in hand, they called Lazarus to meet with them at the lockup at Parker Center. They chose that location because it was a facility where officers had to check their weapon in order to enter the building. This would eliminate any chance of gunshots if she became violent or decided to resist when she was arrested. They told her that she was going to talk to someone about an art theft, so when they started the interview, they gave a reason why they lied and why they brought her to a private place. We, you know, we knew that this, when we saw this in, the, in, in this chrono, that maybe, you know, there was some relationship there. That's what the chrono seemed to indicate, and we didn't want to come up to you at your desk and ask those kinds of questions or do anything. You know how up there people can see what's going on if you go into an interview room or people are in there getting oh, supplies. And so we, we wanted to afford you some privacy, some confidentiality okay. to talk about this because we thought it might be, you know, something, you know, you're married to someone else, obviously, and so forth, and that you may not want to, you know, talk about these things in that setting where someone, you know, we don't want the rumor mill or gossip or any of that kind of stuff I mean, to start. That's fine. I mean, so we're, we're, we did this just as, as a means to try and speak to you in okay, just a confidential I mean, I place where you, you know, where, where your business isn't out there for other people in, in well, you know, I mean, your division yeah, to know about. I mean, they casually ask her about John Rutten and what their relationship was like. She plays it off like they dated casually and that they just went their separate ways peacefully. They ask her if she knew his wife, and she huffs and puffs and claims it was so long ago that she just doesn't remember. You know, I don't understand why you're talking about some guy I dated a million years ago. Well, do you know what happened to his wife? Yeah, I know she got killed. What, um, did, you, what did you hear about that? I, I saw a poster at work. Um, I'm sure I spoke to him about it. Um... I think I spoke to another friend of his about it. Um, and how did, how did you first learn about that? Jeez. <laughs> Someone could have called me. I could have heard it at work. Um, I think at one point there may have been a flyer or something. I know a good friend of his... Um, Were you on the job back then when that happened? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'm sure I was on the job. That's why I would have heard about it with a flyer. Um, he had a good friend, Mike... Mike... Boldrick, Mike, mm. um. anyways, a fr a fr a he may have lived in the dorms, I don't remember if that's how I met him, um, I, I may have talked to him, I mean, you know, I don't remember how I heard, I mean, I don't even remember what year it was. She's very incredulous that they're asking about something that happened, quote, a million years ago, end quote, but she does confirm that she knew about her death. They go over whether she knew Rasmussen and if she ever went to their condo multiple times to try to catch her in a lie, or to see if her story changes. I mean, he, I may know. I mean, he may have told me where they lived, uh -huh. somewhere in the valley. I mean, he may have said, I lived over such and such, but I, I couldn't tell you 
specifically where. But you don't remember specifically ever going over to visit him or visit them at where, wherever I, he moved when he left Roscoe? I, I, I honestly, I don't know. I don't think so, but, okay. I, you know, I don't want to say, no, I don't think so. And then he says, oh, yeah, she came over for something, dropped something off. You know, I, I'm, it, I don't know. So if you did go over there, just be like a a quick thing, like like you're saying, drop something off or maybe. Um, but, you, but you don't remember as far as like going there to have dinner or like a social anything at the house party. Well, if you guys know something, I I just I can't I don't know I don't think so. One of the reasons they want to confirm if she was at their condo is because they found her DNA there. If she claims that she was never there, she's lying, which looks bad for her. She claims to not remember being there, but she does follow that up with a maybe I did, just to cover herself. As they continue asking questions, she begins remembering more details. At one point, I mean, he may have been dating her, or I don't know, maybe he was married, I don't even remember. And I'm like, you know what, why are you calling me if you're either dating her or living with her or married to her? Because I, I, I honestly don't remember the time frame. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm like, come on, knock it off. And, I'm, and now I'm thinking, I may, I may have gone to her and say, hey, you know what? You know what? Is he dating you? He's, he's bothering me. Um, and so I'm thinking that we had a conversation about that. Um, one or two, maybe. I, I, you know, I, it could have been three. I don't want to say I had three conversations with her. Like, at, like at her work or at their, at their house? or. No, I'm thinking that I'm, you know, he obviously must have told me where she worked. I'm thinking it was a hospital somewhere. In LA. This is the story her defense went with at her trial when reports of her showing up at Rasmussen's work come up in court. The defense claimed that she did show up at the hospital, but she went there to ask Sherry to tell Rutten to stop calling her. When you said like, hey, you know, he's calling me, he needs to knock it off or what have you, I mean, was that was that civil? Was there I mean Oh yeah, it... no, there was not I don't think there was anything. It was if the conversation lasted a, a, a few minutes, I can't even remember. And what is it like, you know, we went out to lunch or anything. Right, but there was but, no, like, arguments or fights I, I or it didn't so. get heated or anything like Not that. Not that I recall, no. I mean, what? I would think that would stand out, I would think. Now, again, that's not standing out in my mind. Um, you know. So you didn't have any problems with her then? No. You didn't have any issues with her? No, I mean. But let, me, let me ask you. It seems like you didn't have any issue now. Did she have an issue with you as far as, oh. because now you're telling her, hey, you know, Helma, stop calling us. You know, she's like, hey. you know, you figure she'd be threatened oh. by you. You know, I, I don't know. I mean. From what you remember as far as when you talked to her, maybe you didn't take it as serious, <laughs> but maybe, you know, did she? Maybe she was bugging. I mean, like, was she throwing things at me or something? Or, well, no, just, you know. As far as you're trying to explain, like, hey, have him stop calling me, you know, stop playing games. You know, I, I tell you, yeah. If the conversation, I couldn't even tell you how long the conversation, if you said, did it last a half an hour, did it last three minutes, did it last 20 minutes, I can't even remember it's been so long ago, you know? Um, you just remember talking to her, telling her. Yeah, and that's that why you said, how many times did you talk to her? I don't know how many times I talked to her. Maybe it was once, maybe it was twice, maybe it was three times. You know, I, I honestly don't know. Um, right. I, I don't know what year it was. Um, if, you, if he said, I met her in such and such year, I'd go, okay, well, I don't even know what year he met her. She continues to play up how long ago it was and how much she doesn't remember, which seems strange to me. I don't remember everything that happened to the girl I dated after we broke up, but if an ex-girlfriend of mine got married within a year or two of us breaking up and then her husband was murdered shortly after, it would definitely stick in my mind, though. 
Now, let's pretend that I was a police officer at the time of the murder. It would increase that memory that much more. Then remember that she had written a letter to Rutten's mother claiming to be in love with John just a few months before he got married. Everyone's different, but it seems like something that you'd remember. They press forward with the questions. Did he tell um, you what happened? Like what he heard from the detectives or the police? or? You know what? He may have. Um, for some reason, I'm thinking that, I mean, again, this is like, drugs or something. I mean, I think I faintly remember him mentioning something maybe about cocaine. Um, that she was involved with that? You yeah. know, I don't know that he said she was involved or they thought she was. You know, again, it's been so long. I, You know, he could have mentioned, he could have told me the whole story of what happened. And I mean, like I said, I'm faintly remember even between him or the flyer um, that there was some kind of a burglary. What? She vaguely remembers that it had something to do with cocaine and that maybe Rasmussen was involved? That's completely out of left field. They spend a lot of time talking about when and where she may have met or interacted with Rasmussen. She shifts her story a little bit, but maintains the I don't remember exactly back up just to cover herself. She'll never say anything definitely did or didn't happen. She consistently says, not that I recall, and maybe, but I don't think so. They bring up what cars she had owned and if any of them had ever been stolen. Yeah, I don't think any of my cars had ever been stolen. No. no. My cars haven't been stolen. Broken into. Um, None of that, huh? Oh, yeah. They, my cars have been broken into. Um, you know, but no cars have ever been stolen. Mm How -hmm. long? Well, when, tell me about this uh, the car getting broken into. Well, my car had been broken into several times. Oh, really? Did you ever lose anything? or? Yeah. Now that you mention it, let's see. I had a gun that was stolen. Mm -hmm. um, I had other stuff that was stolen. Not your duty gun, was it? No. Oh, that's good. Um, Was it ever recovered? I don't know. No, I don't think so. Not that I know of. Never been notified. No. The car's been broken into, yeah, several times. Where did that happen when your gun was taken? Mm -hmm. Trying to remember. I'm sure you guys must know. Because um, my car was broken into in Ventura. in Santa Monica. I have relatives that live in Santa Monica and Venice. Um, Who lives there? My uncle. Well, I, I had several uncles. Um, yeah, could have been Santa Monica, um, <clears throat> Venice. My, my car's been broken into in Ventura before. So. I think they were hoping that she would say, no, I've never had a car broken into, but it doesn't work. She does claim to have had her car broken into and to have had a gun stolen. They finally start bringing the conversation to the subject of DNA, but she finally starts catching on to what's really going on. You know, as they processed everything, uh, they did the best they could at that time, and they looked at a lot of a lot of people and different things in this case. And you're right. I mean, if you guys are claiming that I'm a suspect, then you know I, I got a problem with you know with that. Okay. Okay. 
So, you know, if you're if you're doing this as an interrogation, you're saying, "Hey, I'm a suspect." Well, I, now I got a problem with you know. Now you're accusing me of this. Is that what you're Is that what you're saying? We're trying to figure out what happened, Stephanie. Uh, well, I'm. I was. You know, I'm just saying. You know, do I need to get a lawyer if you're accusing me of I this? Mean, you know, you don't have to. I mean, you know, I'm just, you're here of your own free will. I mean, no, you, you well, I know, but I mean, I you mean, know you're, not, you're not under arrest. You can walk out. You can leave you whenever you like. Well, but, you know, I, I'm trying to give you some background of you know how I knew him, and now you're telling me that some somebody's saying that we had this big old fight, and I don't even know what you're talking about. Um, you know, and I don't want to you know get in trouble for something that I didn't even do, or you're saying I did something. Okay, yeah, we understand. I mean, how would you guys like it if the tables were turned on you? I understand. No, um, no, that's what we're telling you. I mean, you're free to go whenever you want. If if this makes you uncomfortable and you want to, if well, you want now to you're starting leave. to make me uncomfortable. The detectives finally come to the point where they ask her directly for a DNA sample. The thing is, I mean, detectives did what they could at that time on the crime scene. Okay, and the burglary thing you're talking about—that is an angle that they looked at. I go, but now we're looking at everything else on the case because nobody was ever arrested <laughs> on the case. I don't know that or not. Okay. Now, what we'd like to do is, obviously you know about all the DNA stuff and things of the nature that, you know, gets done on cases nowadays. You know, if we asked you for a, a DNA swab, would you be willing to give us one? Maybe. Because <laughs> now, 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 yeah, because now, now I'm thinking I probably need to talk to a lawyer. Okay. I mean... Because I, I know how this stuff works, okay? Don't get me wrong. You're right. I have been doing this a long time. Yeah. And, and I wish I had been recording this because, because now it sounds like, you know, there's, you know, you're selling these people, say I'm fighting with her, and now it sounds like you're trying to, you know, I've been doing this a long time. Yeah, we know. Okay? And, it, and now it almost sounds like you're trying to pin something on me. No, now I, I got that sense. Well, what it gets to on these, on these cases, and you know it as well as I do, our job is to identify and eliminate suspects. I can't believe this. So, if we ask you to the point to give us a DNA sample, a buccal swab, so we can identify or eliminate you, would you be willing to do that? Maybe. Because well, I know this. I, 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 well, that's where we're at, too. I mean, because right now, from looking at the evidence, it's, you know, it's possible we may have some DNA at the location. That's great. And we're going to do what we can to try to put this thing together. And your name's in the book. These people are pointing at you for whatever reason. I don't know why. And that's just crazy. I mean, that's just, that's absolutely crazy. And it would be irresponsible on our part not to look at it. I know. You guys have to do your job, and, and I guess I'm going to have to contact somebody. So That's fair. I mean, because I, I know how this stuff works. Sure. I mean, I, 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 I just can't believe it. That's, I, I mean, we, we understand that. I mean, if we were in your position, I mean, we would feel the same way. I, I just can't even believe it. I mean, it's just, I mean, I'm shocked. I'm really shocked okay. that somebody would be blamed, saying that I did this. I mean, we had a fight, and so I went and killed her. I mean, come on. Stephanie Lazarus leaves the interview and is immediately arrested for the murder of Sherry Rasmussen. Okay, Stephanie, you know you have the right to remain silent. Do you understand? Yes. Anything you say may be used against you in court. Do you understand? Yes. You have the right to the presence of an attorney before and during any questioning. Do you understand? Yes. If you cannot afford an attorney, one will be appointed for you free of charge before any questioning if you want. Do you understand? Yes. Do you want to talk to us right now? No. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. This then. is crazy. Okay. This is absolutely... I'm like, I'm like in shock. I'm totally in shock.
you're in shock because you spent 23 years thinking you got away with murder, and now you finally got caught. As soon as Lazarus was arrested, officers who had been standing by with a search warrant began searching her home. Inside, they found her journal from the mid-80s where she wrote many times about her love for John and her unhappiness over his engagement. Her internet search history showed that she had searched Rutten's name multiple times during the late 90s. Lazarus was charged with first-degree murder and held on $10 million bail, which was more than twice what the prosecution had asked for. The judge said that the case against her was strong and that he feared she would flee the country or obtain weapons through her husband. The trial began in early 2012 after a number of motions to either dismiss the case or exclude evidence were all denied. Stephanie Lazarus was found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to 27 years to life in prison. She will be eligible for parole in 2034. Though the Rasmussen family finally had justice for their daughter, they believed that the initial investigation was a cover-up to protect Lazarus and attempted to sue the police department. After multiple attempts, they were unsuccessful. Lazarus filed an appeal in 2013, which was denied in 2015. She tried to have the decision reviewed by the California Supreme Court, but they declined to hear her case. If you want to read more about Stephanie Lazarus and the murder of Sherry Rasmussen, you can check out the book The Lazarus Files by Matthew McGough. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed it, you can help us out by leaving us a review or rating on whatever podcast app you listen through. You can also subscribe to the show to ensure you don't miss an episode. Also, remember that if you'd like to support the show, you can find information on how to do that at thisismonsters.com forward slash support. Thanks again.